Hello, PillPod listeners. This is your most of the time host, Pills. And I just wanted to let you know that we did something a little bit different for this episode. That is, for the first time in uh, two and a half years or so, we did it in person and we filmed it. So it'll sound different on account of that. And you can find that video on the podcast's YouTube channel, which is called the... PillPod, Philosophy, something, something. Um, and if you want to see those things that you've been missing, you know, gestures, facial expressions, and video versions of the clips you'll soon hear, you can head over there. If, of course, this is your preferred method of consuming content, well then, carry on. Cheers, and uh, we are glad that you've invited us into your ears. Is that the, are those the same uh, um, microphones you bought when we start, first started doing the podcast? Yeah, they, they're the ones that I use for all my shit. The whole thing that started it all. <laughs> the thing that also got, I mean, you, I don't know, you can there cut you this go. out. But, can, you try, yeah. can you try to talk again, Victor? Check, check. Mike, check. It's the thing that started it all. The, uh, the thing that got... Uh, Yo! The thing that started it all. We are on <laughs> podcast 69 pillpot 69 really 69 is interesting because it's like if you in, put the number upside down then you have a 6 and a 9 so that's why it's an interesting number that we got pillpot 69 promise the last time that we ever bring up daddy is it really the last time? I can't. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we should make a promise. Promises are made to be effect. broken. We're making an effort. Okay, so we're live. If you're watching this on YouTube, then we're live. This Litvik in the flesh. Yo, yo. The other Vic. Politics Vicker. <laughs> Politics Vicker. Politics guy. The OG. The, the OG Vic. Matt McManus. Stop. You know him. And myself, Pills. Believe it or not, we used to do this. We started off doing it in person. And then obviously the pandemic hit, but this is probably the first time we've done it in person since before the pandemic, right? This is actually the first time I've ever done a full one of these. Right, because we, we did one together that one time. Oh, yeah. Place. Which we didn't even get to release because yeah. of the shitty audio. That was oh, such a good right, interview, yeah. too. It's it was too a bad. good interview. Yeah, so this is my first time doing a live one ever. It's, it's awesome. It's cool. Anyway, you're going to miss Daddy after today because I'm vowing never to speak of him again. I, I, he I left U of T, so I don't know. He's not an academic anymore. Now he's just a public I, I, I heard. I heard one of my professors, I think, tweeting about how he's so happy that that no longer does he have to say, because I go to University of Toronto, that my colleague or someone can refer, oh, he's your colleague. Yeah, I'd also like to say, Pills, that they promised that like a Nightmare on Elm Street would end with seven movies. And we've had many, many uh, Freddy Krueger adventures since then. So let's not jump the gun. But it is fitting that we're talking about Lobster Daddy in our first in-person pod. It should be so. mentioned too that it should be mentioned that Eric is in here. Maybe you mentioned it and I didn't notice. Oh yeah, Eric's got the cove. So does he actually? Is it confirmed? No, they're not allowed to get test him, but it's sore throat and and nasal stuff. So oh yeah, it's the Eric. Alma, I'm sorry, you're not here. We love you. Alma COVID. Um, you can you can see that it's Friday night, so we got some drinks. We kind of stopped drinking on the pod. I think it's when we stopped recording on Friday nights. Yeah, well, yeah we, whenever we when we first started doing it before Matt's time, we would always drink because it would be an in-person thing, and we always did it when, uh, like as a hangout excuse. 
but then COVID hit, and I don't know, at least for me, I remember you guys were drinking still. I like Eric was drinking on the pod, even when it was over Zoom. Pills, I feel like you were drinking. You probably drink. I have this weird thing where I don't really like drinking when I'm not physically in, with other people. I don't know why that is. I've tried. I've like tried to even be like, oh, I'm home from a day from like a busy day at work. Like, let me uh, have a drink. And I just don't like the way it makes me feel. It's like my brain turns off in a way that I want to be around other people. This is why you and, need uh, Jordan and Peterson's I don't like, advice. Yeah, and I don't like it. I you should I just don't. stand up straight with your shoulders back and suck back some wine. Victor, it's your dirty room yelling at you. That's really what's going on it's, there. You gotta just I, I set say, your house in order and you'll be fine. Actually, Victor's house is extremely clean uh, for, a, act- for a bachelor dude, you know? Do you, know, you want to know? I'm, I'm not technically a bachelor, but yes, I live alone. Um, <laughs> I, I think- had to throw that in there like, no, I'm not a bachelor. Fuck off. Well, I mean, I'm, but I'm just saying, I, I I'm no you know, beta cook. You know what's funny though? My, you know, speaking of like clean rooms, I would say that the only thing in my, like, the only thing that I don't actually do regularly that is like a normal, stereotypical clean thing is I don't actually make my bed. Really? I don't, I don't care. It's like the one thing I get up and it's like, there's no point. And it drives my girlfriend fucking crazy because she's like, it's like the first thing she does every time. So I always like make my bed, but it's the only thing. I mean, my room is clean. Like, I, I, I'm, 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 Everything is clean. It's just I just leave the bed. I just leave the I just leave the blanket like shuffled around. I just don't care about like why well, I'm going to get back in it anyway. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, you kind of break with the grad school cliche because I've been to your place a couple of times and it is always immaculate, like very, very nice. Like if I wasn't married, then my state of being would decay pretty rapidly. Unlike some people I know, it never reaches like a complete minimal threshold, but it definitely can reach a pretty low threshold. So I definitely believe you. Well, you've seen it. Pills, are you cl- when, when you when you were a bachelor, were you clean? Look at this place. This place is beautiful. There's there's even plants. What do you mean? There's, there's, you're not. This is not you. This uh, this is. The, I don't know if this is you. All right, let's get to. <laughs> the, I, I can say from when he was living. Let's get to the content. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> All right, so you might see a few cuts here. We're gonna try to run through it. We have a bunch of clips. I can already tell which one was gonna be the first cut of the infamous. <laughs> Of the infamous address, Joe uh, Rogan interview with Daddy, where Daddy, I don't know, I think completely discredited himself as an intellectual. I mean, that's my opinion. And then yeah, the, 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 the kids in the chat are going to say, uh, you haven't read all of his books. But Matt actually has read all of his. So books, did you watch? So. so did you watch? Did you watch the David Pakman thing I sent you? Then no. Okay, because that's exactly what David Pakman says in his clip. He literally says like. He's like, you know, I'm going to be careful with what I say. I think he described the interview as he was like, he was like bizarre interview that seems like a skit is like the name of the uh, of the description. And he says like, he's like, no matter what I'm going to say, people in the chat are going to say, well, you're just saying that because you haven't actually read his books and you don't understand. Can I just the say genius that, of what he's saying? Having read all his books. Yeah, you actually I, have a right to. I actually kind of enjoyed Maps of Meaning and I pointed this out in our text. Like, I think it has insights here and there and it's an enjoyable read and all that stuff. It does actually make me kind of depressed because he has started to approach self-parody like to a threshold that we really, really tried to avoid when we were writing about him. We were like, we're going to take him straight as a serious intellectual. Now it's just really hard to do that because what the fuck do you even say when somebody's like, climate is everything or the Bible is like truer than truth. Oh, my God. Are we going to watch that clip? That part's that. Oh, my God. That part's my favorite. We got we got some fracking coming up. We got some. 
biblical interpretation okay, good. Yeah, coming that, that up. Part, that part, that and part is Just to give much. some context, too, for how far, you know, Daddy has fallen. I mean, like, back in the early 2010s, he was actually, like, a fairly respected Jungian professor and you know at U of T. Right? Yes, didn't I, you take a class with him? I was no? an undergrad at U of T around then. I did not actually take a class with him, but some of my friends were associated with the Jungian society that he was running. So he was, like, a pretty respected, like, moderately cool professor who, like, talked about the Bible and German philosophy actually, and stuff. Actually, I remember, yeah. I remember uh, hanging out with you one time, and I think, like, the Jordan Peterson stuff first started kind of happening. Yeah. And I remember you told me, you were like, oh, I know him. You're like, he's pretty good. Like, I remember because you didn't know, like, yeah. you're like, you're like, I hear yeah. he's a great professor. Like, you didn't know any of the shit. Before and he I was became like, he dragged into the culture war yeah, bullshit. Yeah. He, yeah. And then, of course, you see now, like, 10 years later, he's like, you, you can't fire me. I quit, basically, to the institution. So, yeah, but I can yeah. see why. Like, I watched some of his lectures on uh, line that he delivered at UT. And, like, he was a good lecturer. Like, he was engaging. He kept the material down to earth. He always, like, talked to the audience. Sometimes I would sit there and be like, we were supposed to be talking about X and now we've moved through to talking about Y, Z and pretty much every letter of the alphabet, but we haven't even talked about X. But still, you know, it was in a kind of an entertaining spiel and you're like, okay, I can see why he'd be popular with students. He knows how to give a good sermon in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely a sermon. Um, this is for a lot of people who feel alienated from religion and now they're permissed to re-enter it through psychology. Learn about chaos dragons and all the good stuff. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, what do you say we start out with the first clip? You know what this clip is. It's from the very beginning. It opens with a fucking bang. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those Star Wars movies where everyone begins with like a giant ship and like a battle or something like that. It's just like, man, how are you even going to fucking talk? All right. Let's check this out requiring a lot of thinking and then I have to like look at the criticisms of this guy and criticisms of the work and you know you know who believes that in 10 years Miami's going to be underwater who believes that this is probably hyperbole and that it's a, a gross exaggeration and the reality is you know the world sort of always goes through these cycles of change but human beings are definitely having an effect on it but a small effect compared to cows and other other things. It's like it's hard to sort out the climate. Cows, which have nothing one, to do so. with people. Yeah. At all. Cows have nothing There's to do no with agriculture. They just happen to be climate. here. Climate. <laughs> they just keep the farting. Word. And I, that's what bothers me about the climate change types. It's like the types. This is something that. that bothers me about it. Technically, it's like well, climate is about everything. So okay, but your models aren't based on everything. Your models are based on. Warming. A set number of variables. Yeah. So that means you've reduced the variables, which are everything, to that set. Well, how did you decide which set of variables to include in the equation if it's about everything? And that's not just a criticism. That's like, if it's about everything, your models aren't right. Because mm. your models do not and cannot model everything. What do you mean by everything when you say yeah. it's a good well, question? Well, that's what, that's what people Thank who you, talk Jeff. about the climate apocalypse claim in some sense we have to change everything mm. it's like everything eh okay what and the same with the word environment that word doesn't mean it it means so much that it actually doesn't mean anything like when you say everything it means a lot in a sense that's but meaningless right because well what are you pointing to well i'm pointing to everything well what's the difference between the environment by the way everything? i'd like to interject and say this is from a man who once said that Beliefs make the world in a more than metaphysical sense, now hectoring people about not being analytically precise enough when it comes to defining things like environment. 
So climate, climate is everything, including like, like, like literary enjoyment is part of climate. Like, I don't know. Do you need to take that into account? It's just strange. It's a really weird. Well, what I realized upon listening to this is that really every science uh, is pseudoscientific because physics is also about everything, allegedly. And who knows what the physicists are not actually incorporating. Yeah, who knows what they're models. leaving out? So I just think that we have to abandon Isaac Newton, Einstein, all those others. They're it's kind of, it, it kind of leads to like his, like in, on a serious point, like that his, his objection is really like a really stupid like skepticism oh, yeah. it's just like about it's like the skeptical retort it's like well you can't include everything so well, what drives me nuts probably is matter. like probably 15 minutes after this he says my colleagues and i at the university of toronto developed a, a schematic index to test individuals creativity so what did the creativity take into everything you take, into take account. everything into account is it everything? Is creativity everything? No, right. he's just a climate scientist. Don't you understand? That's what it is. <laughs> well, he's selected for variables. Psychology is part of the climate. Yeah. He also gets really uptight about people who criticize things like IQ, and they'll say things like, "Well, if you want to get rid of testing about for things like IQ, then you might as well just get rid of the whole psychometric tradition because it is the most accurate gauge we have of how it is that people actually behave and think." And it's like, really? So climate is more complicated than intelligence and we aren't just abstracting from some yeah, variables there that's a that's a good point he may he, he he takes a lot of like evolutionary psychological insights as like gospel as well we're lobsters we're birds which is very much a dismal science we're bonobos although actually he never talks about bonobos i noticed that oh, he always chimps. like sorry he chimps. always talks about chimpanzees he doesn't talk about bonobos because bonobos would would be like would lead to socialist conclusions so like yeah. he likes to talk aren't, about aren't they matriarchal they're matriarchal and they also solve all their problems by having orgies and they're, uh, and yeah. they're so and they are, they're dominated by chaos they're a chaos species yeah, apparently of a lot of chimps are polyamorous yeah no so. no chimps no no that's oh, sorry, not chimps uh, bonobos apes. it's very yeah, different no it. bonobos are very, so bonobos and chimps are actually both i learned this evolutionarily they're like ident they're just as close to us as chimpanzees so like really they're just as close they're they're actually pygmy chimpanzees basically but they're like, marxists they're like, but 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 they're Marxists. They're matriarchal. They're matriarchal. They're cooperative, and like they don't have wars. Whereas like chimpanzees are brutal, and they like they have wars and they kill each other. And like bonobos don't do that. They they like as soon as tensions arise, like the females come in and basically just offer themselves up, and they 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 diffuse everything with sex. Well, that's like I always said. You know, apparently there was one simian in that clan who conceived of the simian version of like john lennon's imagine started playing it for them and well, then they but, but it, lay down their arms and decided that they were just gonna love one another sometimes well but i think but i think it is it is but but it is interesting to me and i remember a while ago i read a book about how like it they they kind of observed the way like everybody likes to use chimpanzees as the example to talk about how brutal human beings are but then don't talk about bonobos even though they're just we're just as related to bonobos and jordan peterson does the same thing oh, he just good. talks about chimpanzees about how brutal they are and like the and like the the kind of warlike aspects of them and but all but neglects to talk about bonobos no I, i've never found that kind of argument from evolutionary biography uh biology particularly biography i like that evolutionary biography what evolutionary would that be biography. let's make that up oh we should play that game again what was that that <laughs> That game where we uh, where where we make invent words and decide what they're called. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a meaning example of that. Ooh, beautiful. <laughs> but no, no, I've never really found that uh, argument from evolutionary biology all that strong, since there are plenty of instances where we've transcended oh, yeah, no, the limitations of a biology, and that's a morally good thing. Sure. But what also baffles me about this is how little understanding he seems to have of the scientific method as expressed by somebody like Popper, because any decent scientist will point out that absolutely you have to exclude a huge number of variables in order to run experimental tests. 
I mean, how else would you actually produce anything that was of value? But science doesn't operate on a one-to-one -one basis where one individual runs a test and says, I've now concluded everything that there is that's worth knowing about a given phenomena. Science is cumulative because there are many different people in the scientific community who will sometimes run the same test again and again and complementary tests. And through that, we gather a stream of knowledge about a given phenomena. And we've been doing that about the climate now for what is it now, Pills? Like 60 years, 70 years or something like that? So there's really not much debate any longer that whatever test you run, the Earth is getting warmer and it has some association with the huge volume of hydrocarbons and other chemicals that we release into the air. Okay, that was heavy. Do you think I just think it's hilarious that he gets off to a hot start like this. And right after this, I don't know. Do you want to continue the clip? Well, I was just going to say, though, like, does Joe Rogan challenge him on? Like, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. I, okay let's see. It does kind of throw the gauntlet right. down a bit. What's though? the difference between climate and everything? Well, there's there's no difference. So this is a crisis of everything? It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> like the storms is, of well, Jupiter. It really is. Then we're done because we can't fix everything. Well, specifically, what we have to. What they mean specifically is the human... What what human beings are doing that's causing the Earth to warm? Right, so right. But you have Joe to Rogan patiently explaining the Anthropocene to Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Man, I got well, I got some respect for include? Joe Rogan actually because well, I haven't seen him since Fear Factor. Joe Rogan is not nearly as bad as people are making him out to be. Like, yeah, he's a, he platforms he platforms a lot of people that are like a bit whatever true. cringe. But he's or, a but he also and and he also gives them enough space with which to hang themselves because like three hour conversations you can kind of suss out like on what level people. I don't know how much of this you guys actually watched, but like I did watch like probably the first two hours like somewhat carefully like watching and it did feel to me like joe rogan was like a bit like puzzled by a lot of the stuff that peterson was saying like i feel like but when they used to have conversations in the past uh joe rogan was relatively impressed by peterson like he felt like they, they would go on riffs but i did feel like this time joe rogan would be like a little bit like hmm, i don't know he's asking those hard-hitting questions like what do you mean by everything <laughs> he but, but this is what Some i mean about him circa question. 2016 and him circa now and i don't want to inter too much about his biography because that's neither here nor there but back in the day if you listen to him talk around 2016 2018 he would be relatively analytically precise he would acknowledge his limitations and if he was talking about something that was outside of his disciplinary expertise aside from postmodernism, uh he would usually say like this isn't something that i really know that much about but, and kind of offer an opinion about it. Now he's just going off on all these wacky kind of tangents where he seems to assume that he knows everything there is to know about climate modeling, the scientific method, why it is that it doesn't apply in this circumstance. And you're just kind of like, dude, you're kind of getting out there now. Well, that, <laughs> like, that you're, you're bordering on being that dude on the internet who sits there and is like, I am like a big fan of Scientology because I am a psychologist, a scientist, a metaphysical philosopher. I also stand against the elites who are trying to deny knowledge of these alien invasions to you. Like, But that's the key word too, Matt, elites, right? He's just adopted the ultimate contrarian position. Like it's not really even about climate so much. It's just like about saying the craziest thing right off the bat, just to let you know, like he's done with the system, man. He's just, well, it's just like, a really, yeah. it's a really stupid way of, 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 of like just casting doubt. That's what I meant earlier when I said like skepticism, it's just like a really weak like way of getting into this skeptical argument, which is like the most, like I remember when I was in my philosophy grad school in my master's like that, that was kind of like the, the argumentative moves that, that people would do is kind of like the final, the, like the last ditch, like kind of nuclear option. It's just like, well, skepticism, you can't know anything, right? It's like, it's like the last ditch nuclear option and in a way he's like pressing that button here when he's like, well, it's about everything.
can't can't, well, can't account for. I everything. don't want to continue on this because it's kind of boring. But he does go into I, all of the benefits no, of fracking no. after this. You think he's like on the the Heritage Foundation? Well, there actually, you should play that. Point. It's kind of funny because because Joe Rogan does challenge him on that. It's pretty funny. I mean, we don't we don't know anything about this. He obviously doesn't know anything about it. But like. The benefits of fracking, you don't kill the oceans. No, but li- you know? there's a, literally a point when Joe Rogan's like, but it pollutes the water and stuff. He's like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? You should, uh, I wish you had that queued up. Listen, when the BP name. oil spill happened, it created all kinds of new species as they mutated because there are now all kinds of healthy chemicals in the water that weren't there before. That's Actually, life. so I was going to, I was going to share before there's like, uh, someone I know, like I'm going to, I'm going to withhold their, their name for this, but like, the, uh, it's, 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 um, they sent me an email. They're someone academic and, uh, they like, they sent me this story and they said, you know, I was very good, a very good friend of Jordan Peterson back in the day. I haven't seen him or Tammy since 1998. He used to talk about academia as a benign social and political force in mainstream society. Is this to you personally? Yeah. yeah. Oh. He's like, uh, he complained then about postmodernism and political correctness. I never thought that I would look back at our conversation between friends over dinner and alcohol would someday lead to his ideas becoming so public and him becoming so popular. I remember often telling him he was an idiot, you know, (laughs) like friends do when they disagree. It's made me rethink how some uh, some of those ideas can take on a life of their own. So, yeah, it's just funny that like even back then. I have that queued up. Everything is postmodernists. Okay, good. Let's see what he says about that. The story of Abraham's very cool story because Abraham's like 80 years old living in his father's tent. Oh, we have to do some Bible stuff first, of course. And God shows up one day and says, you have to leave everything you know and journey out into the unknown. And you think, well, what is that? Well, that's the call to adventure. That's what it is. And so... And what happens to Abraham is it's a bloody catastrophe. Like the first thing he runs into is a war and then he goes into a totalitarian state, Egypt, and they try to steal his wife. And it's like, man, he's thinking, I think are pretty good in that tent. Mm. But, well, he goes on this tremendous adventure and then he's the forefather of, of, you know, biblically speaking, half the people on the planet. He has this tr- tremendous adventure. Think, well, what do you set against the suffering of your life? Well, the adventure of your life, that's what you said against it. It's not safety. You forget about that. Mm. There's no safety for mortals, that's for sure. And besides, safety? That's what you want? You don't want that. You want adventure. So then the question is, where's adventure to be found? In exploitation. Well, try it and see. Hell is to be found in exploitation. How about who, truth? Who thinks adventures to be found in exploitation? Well, that's kind of the claim that everything's about power. <laughs> everything's motivated by power. Is that really it's what like, people say, though? Who says that? <laughs> <laughs> this all say that. That's such a silly expression. Yeah, but that is everything. what... Joe puts his hand up in Sunday school. Yes. <laughs> that's why that's they just the Zizek. Where are yes. the communists? Yes. So the mouthpiece of political ideology. When you're making paintings, that's motivated by power? Yes, because you want really? to climb up the socioeconomic status hierarchy. By painting? <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're just not very good at okay, it. Okay, what about music? Same thing. Motivated by power. You bet. Everything's really? motivated by power. Well, well that was it's the At this point, you can tell like, Jordan knows the whole... He's stuck himself the into He's just going to keep digging. Yeah. Everything's... Why do you think that the I mean, whole cultural I do, is I do Children, finger painting. Power. <laughs> okay, so hold on. To be fair... I do think that like there's a like so Jordan Peterson's not explaining it properly, but like there is a way in which you could you could talk about Foucauldian power 
as like actually being, but it's a different kind of power. Like, cause, cause Jordan Peterson's conflating like a kind of Marxist, like don't like, 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 uh, like oppressor and oppressed form of power. Whereas Foucault talks about power as like actually a creative energy that like, that makes the social like constitutive yeah. impossible. But that's weird. Be- and this is something that we pointed out in our text because he should know that because he know he's somebody who spent a lot of time claiming that he read a lot of Nietzsche and caring about that. And that's more or less the way that Nietzsche understands power. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're as right. this kind of creative force that's dynamic, can be destructive, but can, can create values also. That's true. And yeah. Foucault means it in a very similar sense, a more critical sense, because, of course, he talks about structures of domination and discipline. Uh, but he also never denies that power can be creative, productive. Uh, can allow you to express your identity or even create your identity in various iterative ways. Like, really, this shouldn't be all that mysterious to somebody who apparently has spent a lot of time reading single paragraphs of Nietzsche and talking about them at great length in his class for hours at a time. Well, the best part of this was that Joe Rogan, like, if someone paints, (laughs) they're just trying to get power? Absolutely. They're trying to move up the socioeconomic hierarchy through, like... By uh, painting, yeah. (laughs) Jackson Pollock was like desperate for thirsty for that attention. I mean, I don't know. I think that that's the only. I mean, I guess power is the only thing that that could cut his fucking ear off. Power is the only thing that can explain why the hell fucking Jackson Pollock got popular. I mean, (laughs) says the person who knows nothing about art, but. Vincent Van Gogh, when he chopped his ear off, was just like, man, I'm going to get so many girls from this. Like, (laughs) fucking, like, they're going to dig this more than anything else in the whole goddamn world. I'm moving up in the world. (laughs) Do you guys like Jackson Pollock paintings, though? Like, honestly? Like, Jackson. You gotta see them live, man. You gotta what do you see them live. live. What are you talking you about? You gotta gallery. see them in the gallery. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Did, did he say I know anything that's about That's not art aesthetic art, prefer... though. Like that's just more intellectual art. It's like, oh, let's, yeah, that's let's, let's, okay. let's riff on this. But that's a different kind of art. To so, that I mean, point. where's yeah. Van Gogh? It's like I get it. Like I've never even seen yeah. a Van Gogh live, but like I get it. You know. Honestly, I know next to nothing about visual arts. Um, I mean, it's interesting and I appreciate them, but to the extent I have any kind of preference, it's usually for abstract modernism. Occasionally, a little bit of Paul art, but I cannot explain to you why that appeals to me. It just kind of does maybe right. if you push me let's see if he goes a little bit further in this clip on a lot by people you know he that does. have not taken those chances that that diminishing of effort by calling a painter or a musician and saying that those people are motivated by power it, it, these are from career intellectuals who don't venture outside of the universities they like, don't out venture outside the prisons of their own imagination or the echo chambers that exist yeah, yeah yeah no i think a tremendous amount of it so i mean this was nietzsche's dismiss. observation and, and oh my god too, i think that a lot of that see this is what i'm talking about like okay yeah you got it you got it right there he's talking about like yeah. these people read nietzsche fanatically foucault yeah deleuze baudrillard i mean he wrote a whole book called fucking nietzsche they master <laughs> they masturbated to nietzsche and he's like while Nietzsche would call these people resentful cowards. <laughs> yeah, and it's extremely annoying also because, again, if you... It, I mean, Nietzsche probably would call all of those people. He would think that all those oh, people are wrong. No, but, yeah, absolutely. He probably wouldn't appreciate the... But point, not, in the, way, the not in the way that Peterson thinks that he would. But, I mean, Nietzsche was one of the first people to say that artistic creation is about power, but like Victor pointed out, not this kind of power uh, as oppressor and oppressed. an oppressor oppressed narrative but in the sense that you want to affirm your life through creation uh, and see yourself and overcome yourself exactly through these processes of creating new values artistic projects or new grand politics right like but that's this where, is pretty 101 we, also it's not hard to, re- to realize that that's what he's going for if you read any of the books relatively carefully if we want to go deep into nietzsche here though his appeal constantly is back to western civilization or 
you know, traditional values, which is the thing that was Nietzsche's greatest enemy was traditional. I mean, maybe not socialism. He kind of hated too. No, but he but hated, traditional but he values. Hated a lot. He of said things. this is just something invented. Whereas Peterson goes, no, these are natural forms. They exist in lobsters, birds, chimpanzees, and humans. And we're trying to turn away from this balance between order and chaos. Yeah, I mean Nietzsche didn't he just hate anything that was like stagnant, like so. Anything that wasn't cultivating, like the best humans from flourishing, and like tradition is one of those strongest forces that 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 prevents human beings from flourishing. So, well, he has very strong anti-socialist, anti-egalitarian. He would also like. It's also just clearly not the case that he would like like some sort of fascist alternative because the problem with all those other arrangements is they also lead to stagnation it's all about like this perpetual state of self-overcoming and, and self-creation that, that like no one could ever achieve but like that's what Nietzsche taught, wanted like he, he would hate anything else other than that I think the problem runs a lot deeper than that though because one of the things where Nietzsche innovates upon conventional and frankly less intelligent reactionaries is he points out in a number of his books that the reason Christianity and Christian traditionalism failed wasn't because of some external force, it's because Christianity self-secularized. Uh, he points out in one of his books, I think it's The Genealogy of Morals, that the final act of Christianity was to ask its last question, uh, which was it's so dedicated to truth for such a long time and then it has to question the truth of itself. Right. Uh, and he points out that this is the kind of damning moment where you're so committed to this kind of platonic project that you ask yourself, is the platonic Christian project worth anything? And the second thing that he points out is that the real inheritors of the Christian tradition aren't the reactionaries. They're the liberals, the Democrats, the socialists, everybody who kind of is invested in mass egalitarian society because they're predicated on the same resentment that early Christianity was. So the weird thing is, from a Nietzschean perspective, if you really want to be consistent, the SJWs that he hates so much are the true inheritors of the Christian tradition, whereas he's defending his weird kind of Nietzschean traditionalist hierarchies, which are a bastardization both of traditionalism and of Christianity and of Nietzscheanism. A lot of that's motivated by resentment. We Tremendous be, amount of it. I think that's 100% true, and I think we should be very careful <laughs> people aren't charitable. Hmm. Very careful people who aren't nice. And people mm -hmm. that, I mean, there's Great people Joe that Rogan make a career I think that's 100% true. insulting and shitting on people mm -hmm. all the time. And they there's something soothing about his voice, though. Have you ever noticed that? Person. Oh, yeah. No, well, I that is the expression of power then. Yes. Yeah. It yeah, is. I always think you but think everything's not. about power. It's like, that's a confession, buddy. The, the problem with that is that it also it attacks y your your own perceptions of yourself. Yes, because you know you know who you are. You know what you're doing. That sounds familiar. You know, if you're you're just doing yeah. That. Well, what attitude do you have to yourself if right. if you believe the only true expression of human existence is to be found in the will to power? It's, it's crazy. Like, okay, you're a psychopath. Right. What's well, also and like, even more when you're pretending not to be. Exactly. God, a dismal viewpoint. What about friendship? Like, is that power too? It's all manipulation. <laughs> That's you know the great. saddest the thing? There's actually like five years between these yeah, guys. And sure. like Peterson Ridiculous. sounds like a yeah, sickly yeah. dying man. Rogan's like the Chad Rogan. <laughs> it's sad also because oh, you know, man. my wife Miriam points out that one of the most beautiful things Foucault ever wrote was actually about homosexuality. Where he said one of the reasons that it poses such a threat to the established order is precisely because it's a, it indicates that there are other kinds of loving attachments that human beings can make uh, that might transcend the domains of domineering power and domineering power doesn't want that. So if anything, Foucault was really sensitive to this, right? That you should want more friendships, more relations, more kinds of ways of expressing yourself with people who have recognized that. It's kind of sad. I don't know if he's wrong that that a building your life around a Nietzschean will to power would mean that you, like, 
He says you'd be like a psychopath. I don't know if no, that's that far off. No, it's about the joie, joie de vivre was a Nietzsche's I mean, thing. You know, I you know? agree with you, but like, I mean, I don't know if you would. I don't know. I don't know if you would actually be a. You'd actually be a psychopath, but like, there, it's not. It's not an absurd statement that like it would be. It would be problematic because I mean, why does Nietzsche always talk about? He talks about like the great souls are those like it's like the eagle or the or whatever who who eats the lamb or they whatever. are isolated it's true they're isolated and like they so like it's not like they're they're evil in the sense that like they want the lamb to suffer it's that they don't think about the lamb they're, yeah. they're they just eat it right and it's like so that is kind of sociopathic Gils, can, can you think of a better model for the nietzschean will to power in film than daniel plainview that's the real question here is there anyone else who better exemplifies that kind of isolating Ooh, that's yeah, good from that's, their, i mean and he is very blood. much a psychopath. Yeah. Because if that's the poster yeah. child for Nietzschean kind of like ideology played through to its logical conclusion. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a typical case. interpretation of Nietzsche, yeah. but, but would there's you also agree like with that? artistic yeah. interpretations. Yeah, there's existential of interpretations yeah. of it. And like, I mean, I, I even like identify with some of those like more nice flowery interpretations. But like, I don't think uh, Papa Peterson's totally wrong here. Have any of you seen the anime series Berserk? Cut Philosophy did a really good video of the, this. No. Oh, that's too bad. I love well, Berserk. Okay, we gotta finish, yeah, we gotta Griffith finish this clip. Griffith is sometimes yeah, held yeah. up as a Nietzschean hero, right? In that? Yeah, I don't I've never watched it. Really? It's such a good anime. Yeah, watch it now. Ridiculous. It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. The best part of friendships is laughing and joking around with yeah each other. that's for sure that's the play for yeah. sure absolutely it's the best part yeah well so you know if you're in a humor humorless group yes what's going on but that's the same thing as killing the comedians it's that, the same thing that is an issue are we in a humorless group hmm? it is a problem i'm a postmodern neo-marxist of generating it themselves they resent yeah. it well that's <laughs> another reason why i trust you i mean i've watched the most humorous list person is Pete, oh, yeah, Papa he's, Peterson. he's funny he's actually funny like no, he's, seriously he's having funny. fun here and, like seriously funny because you go very dark places very successfully. And it's very funny to watch. It's like, is he really going to do that? Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your Kardashian uh, devil is like, that's one of the funniest things I've ever feels seen. feels very dark. forced. You know, that's an, good in, an indication of that investigation of the shadows, right? You went yeah. way in there. What spirit is possessing All right. this, Whatever he's doing this, there. I mean, it feels... This, this guy is just a really weird dude, you know? He is a really he, weird dude. I don't know how he fell into this position of, like, Harvard psychologist, U of T psychologist, but whatever whatever is going on here, he's, like, a, an eccentric. Well, it's, I mean, it's easy. Like, I, th I'm, I don't want to say it's easy, but, like, but like doing psychology is, like... <laughs> You're wow. going to say, oh, psychology You're going to have to back away from where the implications <laughs> no, no, no. of that statement oh. pretty fast. Well, I mean, it's just like... It's Any a, of you li listening to this are psychologists, we don't mean to condemn. Who was it? I feel like someone recently said, um, and, and I, I forget who it was that said this, but like it was like, when you become a hyper-educated person in like one narrow field, people oh. like... I said that it's called ultra crepidarianism. No, no, but but that you that you can go but one of two ways. Yeah, where you can either know that you know nothing about anything else, yes. or you think that you're an expert in everything. Yeah, you're like I'm really good at this, so I must be good at everything else. And I think that's what Peterson, Papa Peterson's falling into here, which is really dumb. And I it's think because he chastises other people and for the, the thing same is, like, I, like this is this is actually the danger of that. This is why I think psychology is clearly more vulnerable to this. Like I think any sort of social science or science it's like it's like philosophy is like one of the places where i think it's like built in it's kind of part of the system is like you you're much more likely to, to go like the the former route right where, where you're like i don't know anything about anything else i mean i don't know any philosopher who 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 claims to be like oh well like i'm in psychology like no problem. i mean i do I, in fact it used to be a recurring thing at the bar how about, where how about you people would ask me like why are you doing a degree in law you're smart enough to be a philosopher i'm like oh well thank you that's so nice of you to say 
But Peterson definitely is like, it's just really funny that he doesn't realize like how he's making a lot of sweeping statements about stuff he clearly hasn't read like enough of. It's very strange. All right, we're going to get to King Arthur in a second. But first, no, he doesn't ruin that, does he? Oh, before we get to King Arthur, I just want to. I want to go to Jordan Peterson and Joe and Joe Rogan on Are We White? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. <laughs> Man, the hits keep coming with us, eh? And uh, really famous. Like, not just famous, but famous as, like, a, a worldwide... You know, depending on who you ask, either you're a voice of reason and rationality and, and uh, you know, uh, personal responsibility, or... You're a voice of intolerance and bigotry and anger and hateful sexual oppression. What did Michael Prejudice. Eric Dyson call you? A mean, mean angry an, white mean, man. Yeah, and and a mean angry white man. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You're not mean at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what's dumb about that statement. <laughs> You're not mean at all. It's I a, am white. Actually, that's a lie too. <laughs> I'm kind of tan. There and he go. was actually doing <laughs> 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 he was sort of brown. Wow. Because I'm well, actually, this guy's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, white yeah, ghoul. Yeah, but neither of us are white. <laughs> well, I'm Italian. Oh, no. And he was brown, not black. Well, isn't that weird? Yeah, it's this, really the, the weird. The black and white thing is so strange yeah. because Even the way he says it's like, wow, there's something deep. There's such okay, a story Wait, wait, wait. Two, two white guys arrived at the conclusion on their own that whiteness and blackness are social constructs? Is that what they just realized? I know it's beautiful. It's it's like no one has ever said that before. Like, wow, baffling. So it turns out that a lot of what we associate with race is just arbitrary. Who would have thought that? Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I think I saw uh, <laughs> David David Pakman talking <laughs> about how uh, how like he was talking about that clip also, and he he was kind of saying, you know, this. He's like, this is an insight that I had when I was like in grade five. It's like my skin's not actually wait, white. Wait, wait. It's actually more like beige. And he's like, he's like, this is literally an insight I had when I was in grade five. And they're talking about it. He's like, I remember talking to my teacher and being like, I'm not really white. I'm like beige. And it's like, and like here, here we are with with Peterson and 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 uh, Joe Rogan like having Two that insight. 55 year old men. <laughs> oh God. I wonder what happened to him if he actually went to a beach for a little while. He would walk out and he's like, I am now a colored individual. I can't believe it. I have completely transformed my identity. I actually haven't heard the rest of this clip. Oh, I it, gets, wanna... it gets a lot worse. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. 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 There's okay. such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who is like 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day. And they've developed <laughs> oh, God. to protect themselves from the sun. You know, it, even the term black is weird. It's a, it's a, and when you use it for people <laughs> that are literally my color, it becomes very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh, this God. It's so you were asking me what it was like. What is it like to be you? Like, what is it like to, and then I know, you know, you've gone through a lot of shit. And oh, so let's turn it back to him. God, that was hard. No, but I just want to point out that. When you're trying to get pissed off at people for calling you an angry white man, and then you go into like, and the darkest parts of Africa, there are people. No, but that was Joe Rogan, to be fair. And also, that was, and also, yeah. and then he gets there, he's like, well, but nobody. No, but, actually no, but, has the, but the proper, but the, but the real insight there was when he was like, you know, calling me an angry white man. It's like, well, I'm not really white. I'm like actually like beige. Yeah. Like there's, you know. It's, the thing is, it's just. It's such a stereotypically like white. I use the Photoshop eyedropper tool though. on my skin, and it wasn't actually white. No. 
you see how how he got there too at first he's just saying no i'm not actually angry and by the way i'm not actually white and by the way i'm coming out as trans right now like he just anything the guy labeled him as he was just like yeah i wish we had more precision in language you know we should really be talking about the beige no yeah we should talk about beige beige and brown beige privilege What's interesting is in Brazil or countries like that, they do actually kind of differentiate between like degrees of whiteness they do, or yeah. blackness. Same so with it, South it's Africa. not quite like the North American experience is not universal, but the way these guys are like clumsily stumbling into this is just like. It's the same in Mexico. Uh, they yeah, differentiate yeah, yeah, between yeah. about four different categories of people. Yeah, same with uh, South Africa. That's what, uh, what's his name? That uh, the host of The Daily Show talks about that. Trevor Noah. Oh, Trevor Noah. I mean, yeah. isn't that, the, that, that, that is the point is like these are socially constructed categories for specific reasons culturally contingent we have yeah. them for reasons like the one drop rule obama's the first black president there's a oh, reason it's really for heavy that. yeah it's plaster. plaster okay okay um that now, was glorious now we are going to move into the literature section um there's lots of bible stuff too that we can oh the bible over. stuff is gonna so get teary-eyed uh, Oh, do you want the truth stuff? I really like the truth stuff. Do you want Jordan Peterson cries about music or the King Arthur stuff first? I don't know. King Arthur, man. King Arthur. You've been been teasing us. Come on. (laughs) Deconstruct Camelot. So when Arthur first grips the sword, he's blown off it. Now he can pull it out of the stone because he's the guy. He's the long lost son of the rightful king. Long lost. You said, well, wasn't everybody opposing the tyranny of the times? It's like, yeah, welcome to the world, man. Welcome to the world. We're all long lost sons of the rightful king. And the king's now a tyrant. And don't we have to deal with that? And the answer is bloody well right we do. Mm. So Arthur, who's got his eyes open and he's born in straightened circumstances and has to grow up street smart and he's and his friends are all funny and they engage in witty repartee and uh, like he's a He's he's he knows the world from the ground up. Grabs the sword, he pull it out of the stone, but it he's blown right off it. He can't wield it because he has visions of his evil uncle, who conspired with feminine forces of chaos and killed his father, murdered his father and his mother. So his uncle is a murderer. His uncle's a murderer. Well, so is your uncle, and so is my uncle. That's our historical guilt that the lefties weaponize all the time. It's like the soil we walk on is soaked with blood. We need and more Arthur precision can't in our speech, the sword guys. that's his rightfully. So when Simba takes the sword from the stone, <laughs> the important thing to remember is Scar's legacy is tainting him. But you see, Simba is one of the beige lions, so he's not dark like Scar. So. And the evil leftists always try to weaponize the Lion King against us by pointing out the tyrannical systems that yeah. are taking place in Africa. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 funny. Is there more? I want to hear more. It's like, how do you know your masculine ambition isn't part of the world destroying force? Because yes, it is. Mm. So so then, why when I accuse you of racism and so forth, and and your white privilege and your masculine privilege, like why don't you just wander off in a corner and feel terrible and apologize? And the answer is. You probably will, because most people do. You don't, but most people do, and I know why. Partly because they're reasonable. If 30 people mm. come after you and say, you're a racist tyrant, and it's, there's 30 of them, you go home and you think, well, 30 people think I'm a racist tyrant, and like, I got my flaws, man, and 
I might be a little racist because we all have in-group preferences and I shoot my mouth off sometimes and I haven't always been the way with women that I should be and maybe I've mistreated some people and maybe I did it too much and sorry. And then you're a shell, right? Another mob comes for you. It doesn't work at all. Do you so, think that this is a, a factor of this new way of communicating where everyone's communicating all at once. It's not just these small groups of people that you're familiar with that are in your tribe or that you interact with from other tribes. Mm -hmm. This is the whole, this is like unprecedented volume of human beings. I think, all right, so, I mean, it goes on, but well, the I meaning of the Arthurian myth is we shouldn't feel like settler guilt. And uh, I think we should actually I'll take an, a moment here to acknowledge well, think, our male privilege. Well, like if anyone wants to go into the corner, we get, got a corner there. Well, of as course, Canadian, because because like Arthur, as we know, was the original indigenous inhabitant of the English Isles, <laughs> and he was fighting off the colonizing Saxons. So very apt uh, reference, Jesus. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you know, it's funny, his analysis of like the whole guilt complex thing, like... I guess like what it's sort of like missing to me is, um, well, like the, like there's also a way in which people enjoy like their guilt too, like a psychoanalytic thing. Think, like, yeah. Which I think he's like not, which is like interesting cause he is like technically psychoanalytically trained, but, but like, so it's kind of funny that I don't know, I don't know anything about Jungian psycho, like psychoanalysis. He somewhere. does to be fair, bring this up in maps of meaning. Okay. When, he does. Okay. Which was because, because honestly, because there he's just like talking about like the social force that makes us feel guilty. But I think like people really lean into that guilt for like jouissance reasons. Right. Um, but yeah, I know that's, that's funny. It's funny. No. Yeah. I mean, this is another point where once upon a time I would have his analysis was considerably more sophisticated because he points out how it is that many people will sublimate their guilt, and this is kind of the Nietzschean theme, right, uh, as various kinds of value systems, right? And then they try to impose them upon others. It's not nearly as creative or interesting as Nietzsche, and he doesn't draw as many radical conclusions, but he was aware, at least, of the dynamic that you're talking about. Now he just seems to be running from King Arthur to talking about colonization to talking about male privilege talking about how men shrink online to because they're being confronted with all kinds of other people who knows right uh shall we go to the bible absolutely yeah, i'd love i'd love to this is the clip that you picked victor all right let's see what he says here if categories just dis 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 dissolve especially fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is a culture is a structure of category that we all share. So we see things the same way. Well, that's why we can talk. I mean, not exactly the same way because then we'd have nothing to talk about. But roughly speaking, we have a bedrock of agreement. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. So I just walked through the Museum of the Bible in yeah, Washington. Yeah, this is crazy. That was very cool. It's a very cool museum. So the structure, that's what the Bible Yeah, that's what provides. I figured out. I've been, I just figured this figured out this out. week. Figured it out, so guys. It was, a cool, it was a cool thing to walk through because it's, it's chronological. They have one floor, which is the history of the Bible. Mm. But it's not exactly that. It's really what it is, is the history of the book. Now... In many ways, the first book was the Bible. I mean, literally, because 
at one point there was only one book, like as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was one book. And for a while, literally, there was only one book, and that book was the Bible. And then before it was the Bible, it was, a, you know, it was scrolls and it was writings on papyrus. And, but it was, we were starting to aggregate written text together, and it went through all sorts of technological transformations, and then it became books that everybody could buy, the book everybody could buy, and the first one of those was the Bible, and then it became all sorts of books that everybody could buy. But all those books, in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book. And that book itself, the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. It's a collection of books. And so it literally means what I figured book out was books. partly because I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jim Keller, who's the world's greatest chip designer and has now designed a chip that's as powerful as the human brain, which is optimized what for artificial intelligence learning, by the way. And so I talked to him about that. He said, you heard of the internet? All right, so said, we got... Yeah, but hold on. We got... Is there? Is it better? Oh my God! There's okay. There's okay, like okay we'll keep going. The crescendo is, is is unbelievable. Okay, well we'll wait for the crescendo. I just want to. I mean, like, let's get some initial reaction. We we know what he's saying. Like the the Bible is the the foremost book in the Western world, and I mean, he goes on to say that the Hobbit is like based in the original story, which is the yeah. story of the Bible. Yeah. But anyway, we got Litvik here. So any response? Well, actually, to that? The Hobbit is based in the story of Beowulf, as any Tolkien scholar would know. But I, I will refer to judgment. No, it's he's clumsily stumbling into some pretty obvious truisms about obviously the Bible's place in the Western canon. But yeah, just the way that like he very clumsily kind of grasps for these things. I, I notice also like he makes this sup these super vague statements, of course, and just backs them up with like this smidgen of cultural authority. Well, King Arthur, well, you know, Moses, well. So that's how he keeps getting away with like these really, like really pedestrian kind of basic observations, obvious truisms. But yes, let's get to the crescendo. Out of curiosity though, I just want to ask, my understanding is that the first written mythology uh, was the Epic of Gilgamesh. I'm not sure about that. Actually, yes, the Enuma Elish specifically, uh, the, the okay. Babylonian creation myth, which a lot of the Bible was based off of, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's true, yes, it, it all goes back to the ancient Near East and like pretty much every culture in that region like had their own kind of like Bible as it were. And like, this is just the one that we kind of ended up with because of the Roman, Thing, yeah. Oh, no, but, no, I, I understand yeah. that it's just that was my understanding of what the world's first book was. And yeah, obviously it has a lot of descendants and stuff. But anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah. And, you know, the great the great Christian Beowulf, <laughs> who is known for his his charity, his, <laughs> his effective piety, yeah. his sacrificing quality. OK. Yeah. All right. We're getting to the crescendo. Yeah, let's let's go. resume here. A crescendo. Hope I didn't overpromise. I've heard of the internet. He said, this is way more revolutionary than that. So, in any case, we were talking about How meaning in text, melodramatic we translation, is, and the like, problem so of understanding. Everything's so serious. Jim said, the meaning of words is coded in the relationship of the words to one another. And the postmodernists make that case that all meaning is derived from the relationship between words. That's, that's wrong because, well, what about rage? That's not words. And <laughs> what about moving your hand? That's not words. So it's wrong, but, but part of it's right because. The meaning we derive <laughs> from the verbal Sweet. domain is encoded in the relationship between words. So, so now then you think, well, let's think about the relationship between words. Well, some words are dependent on other words. Some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. By de that's a definition of fundamental. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, wait, which wait are the fundamental it? texts? And the answer is, 
the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. And Milton would be in that category, and Dante would be in that category, at least in translation. Fundamental authors, it, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay, with the Bible at its base, which is certainly the case. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of, ling of linguistic production, all things considered. Now how do you understand that? Like, literally, how do you understand that? The answer is, you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain. You build a low-resolution representation of that in your, inside you. And then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. Here we go. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of true. And I think, this is, I think this is not only literally the case, factually, I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. This is going to sound really <laughs> This is a dope syllabus he's describing. That's yeah, all wait, wait, wait. He said too many words too fast. I agreed with half of them. And maybe yeah. this is his style. I agreed yeah, with half it's of a what word he said. Salad. But yeah. I couldn't follow the line of like the, well, then he gets the bible the, is truer than truth because it's fundamental because it's like every, it's like everything else everything else the bible like, status as a divine text doesn't even matter because yeah. of how much it's influenced in western culture that's what he's saying but he's in a also very, saying like, power had yeah. nothing to do with this like the fact yeah. that christian nations just, were the ones that colonized the rest of the earth or this is what bothers me so and the fact that christianity didn't just invent these myths that they stole them all in the first place or yeah exactly well, we were just talking all. about how like gilgamesh and all these other things yeah, it's like, but, so those are more fundamental. Those are more true. Also, Iraq is the true civilization. Yeah, well, there that's, is, I mean, on no, his account, to, that would to be, be fair. This is the problem with the broken clock, right? Twice a day, he is right. No, there is something distinctive about the way that message was articulated in arguably the Hebrew Bible because it was no longer based off of just like, okay, fix at a specific temple or whatever. It became more text-based and that's how it could circulate more easily. But now we're getting into actual anthropology, which is not what he wants to talk about. He just wants to talk about, you know, Disney and King Arthur. But yeah, that's the problem. He grounds half of his rants in something that's like debatably kind of obvious. And then he just goes off on his tangents. So yeah. And that's what he figured out. That's what he figured out. He was like, I figured it out. It's the fundamental truth. The Bible he figured is it out truer than week. true. Yeah. This the week. Is, I, I don't think that he actually figured that out. This is what I was getting at because to my mind, like there's nothing that he's saying there that somebody like Harold Bloom hasn't said before. Much more eloquent. And yeah. what's much more interesting about Bloom is that he actually takes most modernism seriously as the latest evolution of the Western tradition, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what's also irritating to me about this, aside from the fact that he seems to conflate structuralism and post-structuralism, uh, is that he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that a lot of people have come up with exactly the same things that he said. Conflating structuralism and post-structuralism. Like, what a fucking noob. I know, right? He doesn't <laughs> even say structuralism or post-structuralism, though. He just says postmodernism and France in the 70s. Yeah, but I mean, beyond that, I mean, just... I don't know what you think about this, Vic, but I mean, to my mind, if you were to read any volume of like Harold Bloom, he'd be a lot more knowledgeable and a lot more 
complex and making exactly the same kind of assertions. And he would at least acknowledge the fact that, like Pills was saying, there's a big counter argument to this whole hagiography of the Western tradition, which is that there is an association between the hegemony of these belief systems and power. And that's something that's continuously contested in the Western tradition itself, right? Should we actually venerate these texts and give them the kind of status they do? Which, of course, is also the subject of a huge amount of great literature, including pieces like Shakespeare. Yeah, word. didn't didn't word. Harold Bloom say that word. Shakespeare invented the individual human? Yeah, through like Hamlet ha Hamlet's soliloquies yeah. and everything that there was no reflection before that. Again, it's like overblown statements, but you get what they're trying to say, like artistically. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what I mean, though. Like, if you look at somebody like Hamlet, as Bloom and others point out, as like the quintessential modern skeptic, right? The person who questions the or text that he's inherited. Just happened. Like, so. One of the interesting things about this is, of course, you can situate him as a kind of counter-hegemonic figure, right? Somebody who doesn't buy into the idea that his father is literally there, even though he says, you know, this is ordained and there's this divine ordered nature. That's why it is that you can see me. And there's such a reduction of the Western tradition through this kind of analysis that it actually seems kind of impoverished to me rather than enlightening or in any way, shape or form, like inspiring. No, absolutely. Fuck and like guy. even implicit in the Bible itself, of course, there's a very revolutionary message in that way. So it's 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 kind of hard to even see ultimately what he's arguing for here. But but this is what I mean when I said it used to be more complex also, yeah. because in Maps of Meaning, he would talk about criticism of idolatry, for example, mm -hmm. right? And there's a huge amount of that in the Bible, which is extremely important, right? And the way that people will turn from dogmas into these kind of calcified systems that you're just supposed to venerate as tradition, as given. And he points out that idea, like idolatry can become stale. You need to continuously confront that. And is that also seems to be gone now. Now he's just going on his long tangents about Arthur and, you know, nope. hyper-masculine stuff and how it is that the Bible is truer and truer. God only knows. It's a shame though, yeah, because like there obviously is a hunger and like a curiosity for these kinds of like more intellectual conversations about the status of Western texts and the canon, like the Harold Bloom stuff, to your point. Yeah. And he's really, there aren't too many other people who are kind of like even remotely addressing this stuff. So he just kind of falls into the, this gap and yeah, people still take him half seriously in some cases, but yeah. Because I mean, I agree. I mean, if you're going to get a good education in Western philosophy or any subject, you do need to have a kind of working knowledge of the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. Yeah. And I don't think anyone would deny that. What some people would deny is that we should treat that as gospel, right? You know, to kind of coin a phrase. Uh, and what's interesting, of course, is that there are some texts within the religious tradition that would also be critical of the notion that we should take everything that a religious person has said to be gospel because it can be dangerous in that kind do of you know, way. By the way, do you know what, what Professor Beaner, we had him on the podcast <clears throat> early on, he was like talking about basically what a what a fascist, potentially like Nietzsche and Heidegger, his latest project. You know what it's about? No, what? It's about Moses. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And about like what a, what a, what an authoritarian fascist uh. he is, basically. <laughs> It's really yeah, bad. I, 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 I hear that Hammurabi was quite a tyrant. Eh? Just, or, 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 well, it's really like the inconsistency. <laughs> like, he, he presented a paper in our department recently about like how like the inconsistencies in the Bible and like how like there's a lot of like absurd stuff about that that does like lead to a lot of us and basically questioning people who give like a really kind of like egalitarian spin on the Bible on like oh, the absolutely Old yeah and no, like, and like he's kind of like well, responding it, to it. just like on a much more pedantic point this is what also fucking irritates me when he's like oh the university is fucking filled with these postmodern neo-Marxists and nobody even knows these things anymore I'm like really have you actually been in any political science department like you will go through this to the 
threshold where you want to fucking slit your throat. Like, there's so much stuff about the Bible, so the Christian tradition. You'll film through like all of Saint Augustine. It's, it's so funny that, like, even in the very university that he that he used to work at for a long time, and like literally three floors down or two floors down where where I am, the Department of Political Science. It's like he would have known that actually that especially that department had like a reputation for having a lot of like very traditional conservative thinkers yeah or victoria college right i mean it's literally oh, yeah. like a northrop fry's college, college. Yeah. yeah like it's like, the home of structuralism i, I am the only postmodern neo-marxist that i know of <laughs> and i have to be friends with you guys because that's what i'm that's oh, well, the, 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 the pickings are do you think, do you think eric is a postmodern neo-marxist too no. Postmodern near Persian, maybe? No, he's like a pragmatist. Yeah, he's kind of a pragmatist. I think Eric is too weird. Like Eric is like the embodiment of like Kierkegaard's thing. Like, if you label me, you negate me. Like, there's no way to. I think, I think I'm, I'm literally the these. only postmodern neo Marxist at this and table. Somehow you got stuck with these libs. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if. Oh, don't easily. Know, easily. Yeah, yeah. Your Literary historian. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have. Diplomatically. We have two clips left. We have. Um, Peterson cries over music is chaos. Let's do that one. And then we have trans people are an exotic species. Let's save that one for oh. all right. All right. Ants over there, right? The the totalitarianism versus innovation versus giving people the freedom and and also removing the. Fear all right. This clip is actually too long, so government. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. I'll play the end because the whole beginning of it is like. Well, the Chinese are over there and they're an authoritarian, but they're producing so much, so many ideas and they're producing so many engineers, blah, blah, blah. And then Joe Rogan answers, but they're authoritarian, so they're not creative. And Jordan Peterson goes, of course, well, they're not as creative as Americans, but they're also creative, blah, blah, blah. And then we get into music and they talk about Jimi Hendrix a bit. Respect. Yeah, I am. A, yeah. Respect Hendrix. Okay. 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 This is this is his philosophy of music, which he came up with a few weeks ago. <laughs> this week, yeah. So music is just like the world, because the world's made of patterns, and then music. Everything is music. Has layered patterns. Everything is climbing. It's like Bjork. Everything matter. is music. When I go so home, I throw pots and pans Sorry. Well, then you move your body and you want to, right? The music calls to you to move your body. Did I ever so tell you you're one of my great your right now. In sync with the patterned layers of the world. Well, that's meaning. I can't believe Peterson invented so dancing. Cool. Is music is an analog of the structure of existence itself. Wow. And it calls to you to take part in that. Deep. And then, so maybe you dance by yourself or maybe even better, you dance with someone else. And so then you both bring your bodies into this patterned relationship with this multi-layer harmony together in a spontaneous way indicating that you can both play and are therefore potentially trustworthy future mates that's unbelievable oh, cool. dance is for dance, mates not just birds of course it's, oh, it's got an evolutionary oh, god thanks it's got an evolutionary purpose it's got an evolutionary purpose it puts of you course. on the border between chaos and order because a boring song does exactly what you expect it to do and and gets dull very quickly and an unlistenable song is so random you can't follow it. And so what you want is predictability with a leaven of unpredictability. And then that puts you right on the edge. That's the zone of proximal I, mean, I don't disagree with that. Vygotsky I, I do not disagree with this, but this is yeah. the stupidest 
smart person insight that you could possibly imagine. But well, you know what? Music I, borders structure and creativity at the same time. But you know, it sounds you know, really but like wants Latin music though, like reggaeton. I think would blow his mind. But you know, but you know, but you know what's important about like noting when he like when you, we don't disagree though is because like I think what, those moments when we're like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. Because it like it helps us understand and explain why like so many people like like it's like the, ga- get it's the gateway drug to the rest of his bullshit yeah it's because like so it's worth pointing out and being like well yeah like that's I mean he's right I mean there. it's and, very like, that's, true that's that yeah. is what music is yeah exactly uh, that everybody knows who knows anything at all knows I mean that we're all I mean everyone at this table we're a bunch of snobby ass fucking elite PhDs and we're jealous the appeal of a rave <laughs> is that it strips music down to its most primal elements so when you really get in there and you take your shirt off you know it's just like once oh, it's, oh, it's, oh he, he talks about punk music I here remember and he's like, are you talking about your are you talking <laughs> about yourself hey, 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 right no, now no, monster daddy, daddy of course <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a distinct memory in my mind oh yeah so yeah I mean, you say that, Victor. I saw you at my wedding. He goes so. in here into <laughs> punk music and how punk music punks are nihilists, but they really? bump into each other, and when they feel each other bumping into each other, then they can forget their own nihilism for a second, and that's why there's punk music. And this Deep. grinding god, it's like the bees, you know? They got to attract the mates. All right, we got quick two. Th- th- wait, wait. I just want to, as a punk fan, mm. I want to say that irritates me because I would take the exact opposite aesthetic approach to punk. If anything. Punk is the opposite of nihilism. Punk sees significance everywhere. The problem is the world is filled with injustice, and yet there are so many good people within it that the only possible thing that we can do is get angry and try to change it. If anything, punk invests us in a huge mission for complete social transformation in the name of some ideal of justice that's usually signified through anger. And you know, in the mosh pit, if someone falls down, you pick them up. That's punk music. That's, anyway, that's real. Also, smoke a lot of cigarettes and drink a lot of beer. But I mean, you know. We got two minutes left on this one, and it's going to end well, I promise you. Okay, let's go. Fuck him if he dishes punk. Yeah. Not cool, man. Behave yourself. So much creativity inside the structure of the song because mm-hmm. there's riffs that he'll right, do. Right, right, right. And everyone right. loves it. Oh, man, I went to this yeah. bar in Nashville. Uh, this band was playing Kelly's Heroes, a great guitarist, best guitarist I've ever seen. Great music city they were for playing a Nashville fans. Have you heard fans. of that? Kelly's Heroes? That? Rock, Nashville rock, has a great music city. But is it well known? I've heard Nashville. Pause it for a second. Ghostwriters in the Sky, like 15 minutes long. Okay, so the Nashville, I remember, I didn't know like anything about who he was seeing, but I remember him tweeting when he was in Nashville because he tweeted like about with he's been obsessed with the lockdowns that hasn't come up in any of the clips oh, I know what you're talking. Yeah, yeah. and he actually tweeted like a photo of nashville like when we were at the beginning of omicron like when it was crazy and he said something like he was like no lockdowns here and he, he literally said god bless the rednecks oh and it was like in nashville tennessee i'd also like to point out that at that point tennessee had the forced highest rates of covid infection in the entire there were more cases of covid in tennessee than there were in the whole of canada yeah, I have go. to say, God bless the rednecks also, because I, I agree. They, they prevent government overreach. I will say, dialectically, they prevent it because, you know, if a vaccine actually, causes this much problems, then they're not going to do anything worse to us. Yeah, that's true. All right, we got to get to uh, 1 minute 39 seconds. I want to listen to it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I'm not bored. He, he gets, he starts feeling himself. Long and mm. this brilliant guitarist just goes way out on a limb and 
everybody in the crowd, it's so, it was so fun to be there. They're just thrilled to death because they're watching this man doing the same thing that surfers do. He's like dancing on the edge of chaos and order in this virtuosic manner. And everyone is so taken by that that it just lifts them out of the normality of their existence. You know, you see this joy just transfuse them. And that's because they got an intimation of genuine meaning. And it's, and it's, oh it's, it's, it's not it's amenable to rational criticism, which is the thing that I thought that struck me as so miraculous about music and why it has this element of salvation. It's like it puts you directly in touch with the meaning that sustains you in life directly. And it shows you what that would be, which is something like to observe the harmonious interplay of the patterns of being stacked on top of one another and then to bring yourself into alignment with that which is what yogis strive to do and what discipline to be fair I do, do like this a lot and after two years ago again, 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 we all miss live music we're not going to laugh at again, this like, like, he's, I don't he's, think he's, on, yeah. he's not like wrong no like, like, yeah. it's just it's just it's just yeah I'd be lying if I no, didn't no, say no. I didn't the, cry the, the wrong was the significance of music is being on the boundary of chaos and order which is where he's trying to like shoehorn his theory in and also I don't even care the fact that he's just like crying about this i care about his crying about this given the whole frame of context that this conversation is in mm. i think we're assholes for laughing at him crying but i think there's also, a few things i won't laugh at him for getting addicted to drugs his wife getting cancer i accept those as as reasons to cry real tragedies but yeah. then his realization about music at the age of 56 is that there's both innovation and structure in music and that's going to make him He's just regretting that he didn't go to more tragically hip concerts that's the real revelation. Well, you know, I think but but it's it speaks to something that I've talked about several times on this podcast which is just the way that Peterson just is just sees the world in such a in such a solemn way, in such a deadly serious way. He just like sees the world with this level of profundity that there's just like no room for like humor and absurdity. Like it's like everything is like, because he's on the edge of tears all the time. And I feel like the problem with him is like, we actually, Matt, Matt and I, we were talking to our, our buddy, Isocratic, small YouTuber. And like, we were talking about Zizek and like kind of comparing Zizek for, to Peterson. And like, I think, it's interesting because they're both informed by psychoanalysis just in very different ways. And I think what's interesting about it is that like you see the way that like for Peterson, the profundity of the world is like overwhelming with like tears are, are, are ready to overflow at like any second. And it's like Zizek is just like he responds to like the, the overflowing meaning of the world and with just like the absurdity. It's like we're all yeah. irony, we're, jokes. We're irony, jokes. It's like, look at us. We're like, we're these like creatures that are like stuck in this crazy dialectic of desire and it's like hilarious and it's like he's laughing at it but like peterson doesn't know how to laugh at anything and i think like the problem with peterson ultimately is he 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 like doesn't have enough introspection to realize that like a lot of the profundity he's experiencing might be particular to like him like shit that happened to him when he was young like i don't know what his background is he has like no self-reflexivity and he's projecting the like profundity of the world onto everybody else and like sees it as an objective truth but his profundity is this, like if he does not say this to these people at this time, the world is about to slide off into chaos. So yeah. the stakes for him are very high. And That's true. honestly, I, like there's no, there's no point in making fun of him for crying, but it's just so funny that this is the thing that he's, 
a jazz or a, a country bar in Nashville is the thing that is going to bring him to tears. Despite like you, you'd think that there'd be certain levels of empathy yeah. that are involved with that, that he just doesn't demonstrate at all because he talks about me, the postmodern neo-Marxist <laughs> as this person who has no friends, who hates everybody. You are a pretty humorless person. We all know that, right? <laughs> you just sit there and you're humorless. I was but, fucking no, being sarcastic. But, that's yeah. a great contrast, Brazilian. Yeah, no, 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 like, yeah. there's, there's things. I mean, there's plenty of things to condemn pills for. Like we could, we could find. But like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I want one of those hats, so I'm sometimes envious and resentful of the fact that he has one <laughs> and I don't. But I can. And I, I think you can explain that funny. further, by the way, the Zizek Peterson thing, by the fact that look at the societies in which they grew up, Fuck right? Yeah. Like Zizek actually struggled with real adversity and stuff. He actually was canceled or whatever. Like he had to actually fight against the real totalitarian system. I never thought about that. He knows how to laugh about the world, whereas Peterson has had it too good he's had like this cushy tenure track job and like he sees these imagined villains he grew up and, in like yeah, in rural exactly. Alberta. this is what happens when you actually grow up in a pretty like legit country which is now coming to terms with more forms of equality and everything and it's like oh it's, it's you're right you're yeah. actually right that well, a lot of Zizek's humor is is yeah. about it's humor he talks about from like the like Soviet era and like the socialist exactly, era. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, yeah. The, and like, he's the, actually, he's much more acclimated to, to crisis and everything like point. that. I yeah, never yeah. thought of, I never Whereas, thought of like, that. Point. And that's the difference. He has a much healthier approach to like the ambiguities of life and everything. Than I, Peterson. I, I, will say yeah. that I do think that I can understand his appeal in part because of these reactions. And I think one of the reasons is, and you know, Zizek points this out, Inhabiting a postmodern environment, the primary form of cultural expression is almost always irony and dissociation from one's feelings uh, or meta level commentary on how it is that you're feeling things. I think that I can understand the appeal of somebody who has a kind of immediacy about them and seems willing to embrace and even project his kinds of feelings about any given situation. What I think is really problematic is exactly what Victor was talking about. The fact that he invests his feelings with such overwhelming significance always. Uh, and in an objective sense. He's yeah, always exactly. like a Dostoevsky character on the edge of an epiphany. It's just exactly. like, it's all emotion and yeah. The yeah. thing is, it works. He's talking to yeah. the same people that grew up probably in the same suburbs of fucking Edmonton that he grew up. I can vaguely see the kind of appeal, right? Because growing up in a Seinfeld or Simpsons era, but actually I shouldn't say Simpsons because Simpsons had some nice cathartic moments, but say a Seinfeld era, right? There is something that's appealing about somebody who just acknowledges how they feel and expresses it. Right. Uh, think about David Foster Wallace from the 1990s, a similar kind of figure from when Peterson's growing up. But like somebody who will open their book, Maps of Meaning, with a saw with a quote from the Psalm saying, I will utter truths that the world has never yet known. You just have to sit there and think like this isn't even sincerity or authenticity anymore. This is grandiosity, arrogance and not a little bit of like hamminess. Like it's really kind of hammy at this point where you just think like fucking chill out, dude. Take it down like four or five levels. I understand that listening to Freebird is a wonderful experience. I like Skinner like anybody else, but like it's not and to, at the level of significance that you're But to that point to. as well, like it's perfectly valid to be like that sincere about the world and everything like that. Okay, like look in Terrence Malick's films, for yeah. example, but you don't have to be such a smart narky curmudgeon about it like our friends. Well, also, so, but, yeah. But I also think like, again, we have to like acknowledge the conditions of why he's so popular right and like and like the like so i think like it means he's right about something well it's not yeah. but it's not just that it's it's it also tells us something about like an appetite yeah totally oh, for public, sure right yeah. like so like that's important i think to acknowledge that like something is not being satiated by like like the fact that he found this giant gap that, that it's like the intelligentsia like the, 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 that like us like that we just have been doing a shit job 
of like providing yeah. right it's like he's exposed that in a way because because it's like there is an appetite for like intellectualized thinking i mean we can we can make fun of and poke holes and like it's worth making fun of but it's like but the truth is like he is he is exposing like something that there is a public that wants something that's hungry for like some account of what meaning is and i think that's true and even we're not we're, yeah. we're not doing a good job of, of providing it right so like which is the, like if we were he, he wouldn't be filling that gap and also this is the reason that we're doing a podcast on this it's yeah. partially our own jouissance we're jealous of the guy we're jealous <laughs> that he has the success we we're jealous that he has the audience because we feel like not me. I don't need that many know, fucking bullshit followers. We <laughs> we put the work in, and he's just saying whatever the fuck, like he farts out of his ass. And I mean, that's part of it. That's part of why in, intellectuals hate him. It's also why intellectuals hate Zizek, because it feels like oh, they're getting yeah. they're getting it too easy. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, we should we should just straight up admit that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, for sure. I mean, she, we'll admit she, that we're, we're jealous, jealous that he's that successful. But we're also saying that he's wrong. But it was, it was also the perfect storm, of course, because he threw himself against like the Ontario Human Rights Court or whatever. Like back, that's why he caught on fire. People were interested in him because of you're that. Right, he was right. like the original political bad boy contrarian. Yeah. And then they started listening to like his stuff about the Bible or whatever. But yeah. he kind of stumbled into. You're right. It you're right. Way. He said. Yeah. He, you're right. He he. What he did was he caught on to like a, a, a like a phenomenon, like some woke thing or like something that the like a lot of war. he establishes anti woke credentials, culture war yeah. stuff that like. Most academics are like, you know, either just like aren't interested or, well, you know, to be less generous, just cowards to talk about. So like and he just like leaned right into it. And there's a lot of like non-academic people, regular people who are like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that thing that I heard on the news about like whatever, it's like it never made sense to me. And now like there's someone with authority saying like it's bullshit. And it's like and he's just like riding that wave. Right? Why don't we use this to transition Transition. Transition. I see what you I, I just there. want to say one last thing, which is that I completely agree with everything that Brazoni is saying. And I think it is something that we could do a better job on uh, when it comes to the left, because I think one of the things that really speaks to his appeal is the fact that A, he is sincere and B, he does seem to have a real concrete political project that he invests with extraordinary significance. It's not concrete, though, is it? Well, it's it's concrete in the sense that people invest it with a certain level of yeah, significance. I and gravity. That's it's like I mean. restore Western civilization. And I can understand the yearning for a project of that sort. I just think this is entirely the wrong project. And in fact, the fact that he transforms these extremely petty struggles into something of existential significance is, again, really quite funny. And he's not the first conservative to do that, by the way. But, you know, we could on the left try to do a little bit more to actually say that, look, like, there are reasons to not be cynical and dissociative and meta about things. Maybe we can actually just say that this is what we really want and this is what we care about, which is also something Zizek points out a lot, right? Where he says, if you want to be a good left-wing movement, maybe stop trying to be so clever about things and just say, this is what we want, right? This is what we demand. You know what's what's interesting too about Peterson when in contrast to Zizek is I think Peterson, what he also offers, you know, this is like maybe the more philosopher king take, like, or the the, the kind of like superiority intellectual take. Well, he's offering like com like comforting truths yeah, definitely. to the public. And I think Zizek doesn't really offer the same kind of comforting truths. If anything, he is like de like kind of delegitimizing and kind of like, uh, you know, like kind of being like pissing on sacred cows. Yeah. You got to chop the right? balls and, and keep like, them power. Right? And ultimately, I think what Peterson's project is, which is like what gives a lot of people some comfort is he's trying to re-sanctify things and, and, and make things uh, sacred again in a way. All right. Well, we've transition. we've given his due to his due. Now we're going to transition to the greatest hits that made 
Jordan Peterson famous. So trigger warning. Um, he's walking back his hate speech, I guess, and decided that trans people are just an entirely different species from the rest of us. So here we go. Mm-hmm. You can't joke Sacred about things. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's protected classes now. Mm-hmm. We all know who they are. We don't even have to bring them up. You know, whether it's trans people, gay people, people of color, Asian people, whatever those things are. Um, one thing you can mock relentlessly is white people, specifically white males. It's one of the. Well, they are pretty funny, you know. Oh, sure, we're ridiculous, but it's a funny pejorative that people will say about like a group of folks. They're primarily white males. Like that is that's a pejorative. Like that's like it's you, my audience. That's yeah, what everyone that's, says. Yeah. Oh, you're talking to those those young, angry young white males. But isn't that funny? That that is hilarious. That, that means something negative. Does that make Women any sense? are more interested in fiction than nonfiction, and mm. and men are opposite to that. So if you look at book buying preferences, for example, women tilt towards fiction and mm. men t- tilt towards women fiction. And if you want to know why that is, it's because the most reliable difference that psychologists have ever found between men and women, the biggest difference, is interest. So women are reliably more interested in people, and men are reliably more interested in things. Now there's still overlap. It's one standard deviation, which is a big difference. But that, that, that isn't to say no women are interested in things, because some are, and no, inter- no men are interested in people, because some are. Like, I'm a man who's more interested in people than things. That's why I'm a psychologist. You know, I actually have a relatively feminine personality structure because I'm pretty high in negative emotion, and I'm pretty high in agreeableness, and that's the typical feminine structure and that that's an interesting discussion to have too because you know we have this idea in our culture that you can be a woman born in a man's body and that's not true but you can definitely be a man with a feminine personality structure like 10 percent of men are as feminine in their personality as the average woman is and vice versa 10 percent of women are as masculine in their personality as the average man is now you can move those boundaries around and say well it's five percent and 40 or something. It doesn't matter. But the point is, there's plenty of men who are as feminine in their personality as the average woman. That doesn't mean they're in the wrong body. It just means that men and women are more alike than different, even though they are different, and that there's a huge range within both genders. And we need to know this. So what do you think is happening with trans people then? What a question. Rogan knows. (laughs) The money shot. What do you think is happening with trans people? Okay. (laughs) Let's paint them all with a brush. At the same time, Jordan Peterson, go. Trigger warning. A lot of different kinds of trans people. Okay, First trans men. Or, or excuse me, trans women. Men to female. <laughs> well, then I would say it depends on what period of time you're asking that question about. Right now, if you look at teenagers, for example, who want to switch genders, 95% of them are unbearably confused that's what's causing that and i think there's other reasons too i think this is a conjecture when the when the trans teenagers came after me when i opposed bill c-16 in canada on compelled speech grounds i i spent quite a bit of time watching them and i already kind of knew about that fluid identity crowd <laughs> crowd so crowd here's those and, types and tattooing started to become a cultural rage and I was interested in, well, who's doing this? Because I knew it was, it was a practice that was limited to criminal subtypes, 
And <laughs> for a long time, so, for example, so uncool. The thing is, to be fair to him, he's talking about at the time. But yeah, you toured around the circus. I mean, that's just so cringy, though. It was an outsider life, and if you were a prisoner, same thing. But then all of a sudden, it started to make its inroads into the popular culture. So what a we narc. studied a group of early adopters of tattooing and piercing from the perspective of personality. Like, who are these people? And they were all highly creative people. Well, what it, and creativity is a trait. And all people who aren't creative, that's wrong. In fact, most people aren't creative at all. And I can explain that later, but they're not. We, get, we developed a scale called the Creative Achievement Questionnaire, which assesses lifetime contribution to 13 different creative this domains. Take into account everything? And that your scores would range from yeah, zero. Yeah, this is where no everything in comes into account. I think it was eight. No, um, just eight I'm things. I'm an international oh, not everything. expert. Not everything. Just eight things. things. So what's the world value? And so 70% yeah. of people, if you sum their scores across all 13 domains, scored zero. And I ask audiences, like, how many portraits have you painted? Zero. How many songs have you composed? Zero. How many plays have you written? Zero. How okay, many recipes let me, let me, have you invented? Let me invented? stop you. Let me okay. stop you. So um, the tattooed stop. types are high. They were high in creativity. Okay. And a lot of these people who are fluid in their identity are actually high in trade openness. And they do have fluid identities. And some of them are feminine men and masculine women. So, yeah. But that doesn't mean that surgery is the cure for that. That it does not mean that. Does not mean well, what is, that. What is this is such a I'm gross curious. overgeneralization as well as if all trans women get surgery. But anyway, yeah. yeah. It's, no, it's, awful. it's it's disgusting all the way down. But it's like I'm this is a specialized group of people. If we evaluate the group, then we can understand. So it almost sounds like he's trying to walk back other stuff that he said. And he's trying to say something like, Well, trans people aren't all bad. Because they're the creative types. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely bizarre take. It's a. I mean, it's a strange. He, I mean, it's he a knows this tech. is his brand too, so he has to kind of like say something about it. But he, can, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's interesting. I was think like there's this random YouTuber I was watching recently, and he has this like really weird take on like trans issues that is reminding me of what Peterson is saying, which is just like that. He just thinks it's on the spectrum of like any sort of body modification. So he was talking about like tattoos and stuff like that. Yeah. That's like, on, you're on the, that's the gateway drug. Exactly. The gate. It's just like any sort of like modification where you're trying to like escape from yourself is kind of like this theory. I don't agree with it, but I'm just saying like, so it's like, so when you cut your hair, so it's like when you do, so yeah, exactly. So, but it's all, so for him, it's like all on the spectrum. So it's like, that's a smaller one, right? Like, and his thesis is like, None of us really want to be who we are. We're all like trying to escape to some extent. It's just some of us want to escape more. So first you dye your hair, exactly. Then you get piercings, and then you become transgender. Even thinks may he even thinks makeup is on, is on that spectrum. But it's just like, oh. and then it's just like that's. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I agree, but I'm yeah, saying but it reminds I, I me of what Peterson. Is Marshall saying. McLuhan had a really good quote about this, where he said, "Look, to imagine a naked human being is the same as imagining a beetle without its shell." Right. Uh, we are people who fundamentally transform ourselves. That's intrinsic to who it is that we are. And so to imagine that these kinds of transformations are artificial or strange is really just not to understand what it means to be human. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree with every kind of weird thing that people do. Uh, 
But it does mean that you should at least appreciate that this kind of variety is going to be intrinsic uh, to any kind of human society that you encounter. Well, do you see the way that he's doing this? Because he's saying in the same way that you would say, or I don't know, like a, a, a crystal gripping person would be like, well, the indigenous had such a pure understanding of nature and they, until we came and ruined it. So like this, the self-affected person, he's giving trans people like, oh, you have this domain. You're not really people. You're just like overly creative. So you extend your creativity to your gender. Is he really saying that you're not really people? No, by saying this, by saying you are a class like this. Oh, right. Like, okay, okay. They're the half elves in the D&D Pearson <laughs> cosmology. It's Is like... every transgender person you know creative or are like a few of them just math nerds that are just nerds in every other category and not creative? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I mean, I think that's this is this this is bullshit because he's exoticizing trans people like he I think he thinks in his head he's giving them a compliment coming back from the old shit that he said about them that is like, I'm not going to use your preferred pronouns because that's uh, discriminating my use of language. So I, w- I will say that I have anecdotally noticed an overrepresentation of like queer in the broad category in like philosophy and like creative endeavors and I th- I've always thought of this like as kind of just like in my own sort of like folk psychological intuitions I was like well it makes sense to me because like when you feel like you don't fit in yeah. to this world you just have to think about the world more that because, would be you're my- like, because you're like well I like what is this world that I don't fit into so therefore you are just like gonna be like thinking and so it just seems intuitive to me that you would be more likely to be in philosophical or artistic fields because you're always, you're noticing things. And when you fit in the world, in, when you fit in with the world, there's a lot of things you don't notice, right? Like, but when you don't fit into the world and you're trying to like, let's say become like trans. And I, like, I remember my, 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 my girlfriend, she used to have a, a roommate who, who was a, a trans woman. And I remember hearing her kind of talk about like, make comments that like kind of spoke to the way she's like paying meticulous attention to like you start what, to what notice femininity the, looks the, like. the glitches in and the it's matrix like, and it's like how yeah. am i fitting into that femininity like in what ways so it's like you were just forced to pay attention in a way that like so he's saying something opposite he's saying you're okay. creative and then that creativity right, okay, extends okay. into your gender and you're saying no you start with like with not whatever. fitting in which is the thing that makes you creative exactly right and yeah I'm, and that's I'm it i think that's a good more, amenable to the second explanation than the first yeah especially because i would actually say that's more consonant with the general outlook oddly enough of western civilization as a whole right i mean you go back to something like plato uh, and socrates one of the catalysts for the philosophical enterprise is the fact that the philosopher doesn't feel like he or she belongs in the human community which is one of the things that stimulates them to start to think this way right like why do i not belong why do people have these kind of projects why is the people believe what they believe so i actually think that if anything you're affirming a more ancient kind of wisdom than he is Anyway, so well done. I'm, I'm, I just want to say, in some, I'm a student of Brazonianism on this point. <laughs> I think that the Brazonianist approach to understanding these issues is better than. Him. Okay, well, I mean, this is yeah. this is feeling kind of dark to me. So I'll give him another maybe minute, and uh, then we'll wrap it up after that. All right, all right. Well, what do you think it means when someone is so attracted to the idea that they? were born in the wrong body. They're, it means so much. They're so compelled that they're willing to go through surgery to change 
God, it means all sorts of things. I knew a kid in Toronto who was on the autistic spectrum, and a lot of the people who are manifesting serious issues with gender identity are on the autistic spectrum. Okay, like no, Abigail I can't Schrar's do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> first of all, amongst women. <laughs> trans people are overly creative, but now they're also autistic. So I think I'm... I'm I'm done with this fucker. I mean, that's that, that's strange. I mean, I, I wonder if there's actually stats to back that up. I mean, I'm trying to be charitable here. No, he says know. he had a a student in Toronto. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he's returning to the hits. Now he's like uh, trying to extend. I, I mean, maybe put his best foot forward and saying trans people are creative, but they're still an exotic species if you I mean yeah, yeah, guys exactly. mark my words in like five years he's gonna be the next caitlin jenner like he's gonna come out as trans he's just gonna be when he sees his popularity he's just like ebbing no, he'll yeah. be jordan but with a y and jordana no jordana yeah. like, what do you yeah. think i'm curious but he grew up like the 90s the, we had the same debates were happening about gay people like gay people are just confused now that just suddenly slips under the rug for these conservative no, but that that does point to something though, which is the speed with which these changes have happened. Like gay marriage was being debated just like ten years ago, and now that's yeah. like on a fait accompli. Now it's like okay, trans rights and everything. And there is something to be said about how quickly this has happened, especially yeah. in certain parts of North America, that people are like not necessarily uncomfortable with it, but they just don't have the vocabulary for it yet. And that's why he can kind of speak to that more confused crowd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to be fair, like a lot of my more conservative friends and associates, that's exactly what they say. I mean. Uh, one of my intelligent conservative friends, I won't name him, uh, basically said, like, 10 years ago, I was asked to accept gay marriage, and I did. And now I'm being asked to accept this, and I'm just not sure what the next thing I'm going to be asked to accept is. It's all happening too fast. Now, I don't necessarily sympathize with that view in the sense of thinking it's intellectually cogent, but I do empathize it with this. You understand that. why there's a space for somebody like him then to then kind of, like, complain about it. And yeah. I understand why people might come in and question. We got to go one at a time. But this is, like Victor just said, this is why... He, this guy has the the wave behind him that he does. It's because like people go trans people, um, uh, like as if it's up to you to just make a decision, a medical decision in many cases about yeah. someone else's life. But well, can I just this add, guy I, voices those concerns. Yeah, true, true. I mean, I just want to add like a, a kind of like to add on to Matt's point, sort of like about having empathy for like people. I think that like. There is, you know, a bit of a conservative reactionary potential in all of us. And I think like, and it's interesting that when I was studying urban planning, I did my master's in urban planning as like also. And I remember like one of the things that like, you know, whether you're on the left or the right, we see this all the time is like people complain when things change. Yeah. So like when you're going to build a new building. Or something somewhere it's like or tearing something down it's like it doesn't matter if you're like lefty or, or like a right winger like you're gonna find people who are gonna be like i don't want that to change I mean, look and at I'm, Facebook. I'm just saying like that is a human that is like a part of human nature i mean look at facebook it's like, gone through so many generations and every single time it goes yeah. through a new iteration i get bombarded with people being like it was so good the way it was before man why the fuck is when, when, when they put my fucking news feed on facebook my that's when i canceled point, it my only point is just like <laughs> it's just that like it's not that weird like to, to for a conservative to be like you know I accepted this thing like I think it's it's in in, in a way that potential is in all of us yeah and, and I'd like to point out like conservatives are sometimes the more reflective and more intelligent conservatives usually acknowledge that there's a high degree of irrationalism in their position 
Uh, you know, I mean, Russell Kirk, author of the Conservative Mind, which is you know a positive book. Well, he's an idiot, though. Yeah, I mean, he's a weird guy. But one of the things that he says that I think is right is that conservatism is first and foremost a disposition uh, rather than a philosophy. Wasn't that? Wasn't that? Didn't you just steal that from uh, what's his name? The uh... Evan Burke. Uh, no, I mean, no, no, not well. Yeah, Edmund Burke, I guess. But like, I was thinking of the other guy, the 20th century conservative person. Oh, Michael Oakshaw. Yeah, I mean, yeah, guys, are way at the end of the yeah, cast. The, the, it's not the time to start name dropping. The, the, the point is that like. There is this kind of conservative reaction that people do have. Like, I don't like when Facebook changes either. I sit there and I'm like, what the fuck? And when changes happen too rapidly, there's a part of me that thinks like, no, I like things the way they were before. Or even if I didn't like them, at least I had a set of expectations about how my life was going to go. And all of a sudden that's been upturned. So definitely I can empathize. I just don't sympathize because sometimes I think, well, there's no real reason for me to adopt this kind of attitude. So on second tier reflection, maybe it's better that things change. Maybe that means that it'll improve. Maybe it means that things will be better. Or actually, upon looking at the evidence, it seems like this will be better. And I don't think a lot of conservatives typically do that, or many of them don't. That's true. At least. That's true. They kind of settle into the reaction, and that's where they stay. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, and this is sadly why, like, a culture war profiteer, if you will, like Peterson, can kind of like get away with his shit for so long. It's because, especially in a country like the U.S., where like you know, you have to have sort of like universalize things quite quickly, where if something is happening in San Francisco or New York, it does kind of spread to the rest of the states pretty quickly, even if culturally, maybe they're not really at the same, you know, they're not ready to accept the same kind of things. It's because it's all like it's this loose coalition or federation of states, ultimately, that, you know, the same things kind of all happen in the same way. But yeah, it's it's the problems with the political system as much yeah. as anything and else. I should point yeah. out, the weird thing is academics, oddly enough, despite being broadly speaking, culturally left, are some of the most personally conservative people I know. Like most academics are like, I like my coffee like this. I like my books laid out like this. I like my computer like this. Creatures of habit. Yeah. yeah and Creatures like, of habit. Actually, my, my, my girlfriend's like, she has these, like, I always kind of make fun of her because she likes like traditions. And yeah. I, I always just tell her, I'm like, when she, like something comes up, she's like, we did it before. And I'm like. I'm like, that's how, that's how we always done it. That's how we're always going to do it. And it's like, that's just, this is like this, this thing that I think exists in people that it's just like, they just want to keep doing things the way that they, that they are. Yeah. And it's not because it's the best way. It's I just mean, because it's like, well, a, this is what I've this done. This is not now. a great way to wrap this up because we were having so much fun and now I'm just feeling like. Really? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's just a point about human nature. The fact that like we all have some conservative. There's no such thing as human nature, Victor. I mean, I don't. I, I That's mean, the postmodern neo-Marxism, and I'm seeking. <laughs> I mean, there is such thing as there is such thing as human tendencies. There's, we can all agree we enjoy nachos. There's bills. such thing as habit. I think part of the problem also is Victor is speaking in his really solemn voice, like, "Well, but you know, you there know, is this kind of thing." I feel and when it because my girlfriend said it. Okay. <laughs> no, when only speaks in a solemn voice, I'm like, yeah. When his girlfriend said it, you know it has to no, be No, but true. I mean, I don't even think, I don't even agree. I don't have the same tendency that she This does. is why I converted to Brazonism so quickly. Can we just quickly end on Jordan Peterson crying about a song that he heard in Nashville? Normality of their existence, you know, they see this joy just transfuse them. And that's because they got an intimation of genuine meaning. And it's and it's 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 not amenable to rational criticism, which is the thing that I thought that struck me as so miraculous about music and why it has this element of salvation. It's like element of salvation. All right. To all of our listeners, to everyone who is Praise watching be. this cast, Praise be. Be to Jesus. please listen to whatever song brings you to tears in the same way that Jordan Peterson Praise does. Praise be. And I mean, at least for my part, I'm going to attempt to no longer bring him up because I think it's been brought up. I think Western civilization has been defended. 
as much as it will be defended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they say, were, they're never going to make another Friday the 13th movie. Jason's dead forever. Come on. I mean, I don't think we can get away from him forever, but thanks for hanging out with us. Um, it's the first time I've ever really been drunk on the podcast. So, yeah, the uh, booze are flowing. So are flowing. thank you to LitVic, Politics Vic, Matt. So Matt, Matt's keeping his uh, dead soldiers next to him. Sante. And, and shout uh, out to Nashville, which is a great music city, guys. Yeah, Nashville. Oh, Nashville. We never don't met get the wrong idea. Yeah. Also, I want to point out Jimi Hendrix and Skinner, big fan. Kind of fuck this guy, but you know what? He's like not. He's not the devil by any means. And he's, he's not. Just, and, he's, and he's not like he's wrong. He's kind of stupid. He's just, I mean, he's, he thinks he's a lot smarter than he is because he has like, a, we talked about it. I mean, can, I, can I just right. say? So we will, wait, do you have something before we sign off? Oh yeah. Just having read a lot of conservative people, that's 99%. Okay. We have nothing to. No, 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 I want to know if <laughs> okay, you're saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're fucking, Pills is such an asshole. No, it's just no. I I heard the speech coming up because he inhaled. No, 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 really no, no, no. <laughs> He inhaled before he was. A... Having read a lot of these people, a lot of them are like that. Where there's kernels of insight, usually kernels of literary insight. That's one of the interesting. What things about the about guy who wrote American Marxism? No, I mean that's just a piece of shit that deserves to be burned, irradiated, and then sent to the moon, and then the moon should be blown up afterwards. Okay, sorry. And then we should ban it. So I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to put you on a rant. No, but I mean like every now and then there's a couple of insights that they have in there. But like, what you need to do and you should be is be better than most conservative intellectuals are because they rest with their inclinations and associate so much profundity with them, and they never bother to move on to the second stage, which is asking whether these inclinations are actually rational or defensible, and. Everyone who listens to our podcast should be better than that. Well, why don't we finish on a toast? A cheers to thank you to like dumb conservatives or like at least questionable marginal conservatives cheers. for existing because they give us something to laugh and talk about. So I'll drink to that. Salut, yeah. But we can't laugh also because we're postmodern neo-Marxists. Well, I mean, I'm not a po fucking postmodern. You had to go to the American Marxism oh, point. You just know how that book's triggers. All right. <laughs> triggers Everybody, this has been the Pill Pod 69, a number which yeah. has no significance Woo. whatsoever. Goodbye and good night. Peace. Peace. I mean, I thought that was fun. That was fun, yeah. I totally thought that was fun.